This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everyone. This is Eric with IndieWire, and this week's episode of Screen Talk is presented by Vimeo. Over at Vimeo On Demand at the URL vimeo.com slash IndieWire, you can check out a whole bunch of IndieWire picks of our favorite films that are available there right now. This week, the first 100 people who use the promo code ERIC10 can get a 10% discount to watch one of my favorite films of the year, Kumiko the Treasure Hunter, directed by the Zellner Brothers, these terrific filmmakers out of Austin, Texas. They also made Kid Thing and Goliath, which are really wacky movies in their own right. But Kumiko is something else altogether. It's an emotionally involving period drama, a black comedy, a fan tribute to the Coen Brothers' Fargo, and it's also a terrific showcase for its star, Rinko Kikuchi. It's beautiful, haunting, and strange, one of the most original stories released this year. So, if you use the promo code ERIC10, you can watch the movie at a discount, and you can let me know what you think about it. But for now, on with the show. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Film Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson from Thompson and Hollywood. And Ann, one of the things I like about what we do is that we don't always have to get dragged into the most obvious conversations of the moment. This past week, all these news alerts about Ben Affleck getting divorced really uh, confounded me. This was like consuming the industry, but I'm, I'm really... I'm thrilled to announce that we do not need to delve into that subject matter at all whatsoever. We're going to set that aside. If I we... were to say why everybody reacted so strongly to it, all I right, would let's say do it quickly. that it's because they were a long-term ideal couple who seemed to be, um, you know, making it, and and everyone gets upset when that doesn't finally occur it's 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 depressing it's depressing when uh, when people break up and and yeah. and so that that's all and then i loved it that, that that you know they immediately you know all these places put out lists of all the people that are together still that we can hang on to for dear life like brad and angelina i think that's hilarious <laughs> love survives despite its, the, the odds that are stacked against it so, but honestly, there are much more important things we could talk about, like Magic Mike, which we've finally seen. And speaking of of uh, relationships and and uh, yeah, but you know. that's not what it's about. I mean, I was I was actually interested to look at the roundup that Sam Adams on CriticWire did of all the women film critics that were dumping Love on that. on um, Magic Mike. And I was reading their reviews, and I have to say I reacted kind of badly to them because um, I felt like they weren't reviewing the movie I saw. My daughter and I, who's 20, my Nora's 25, we went to see the movie, and I had very low expectations. I was expecting nothing. I, I, I like Channing Tatum. I want that out there. I always like him. 
You know why? He's a good dancer. He's a good actor. He is unpretentious. He is he survives the worst dreck that they throw him in, whether it's Jupiter ascending or or Well, I don't know how well he survived that one. But he the, even <laughs> you, you know, I didn't blame him, you know, it wasn't his fault. He he's likable. He's he's absolutely you know, the dilemma, the Ron Howard, that horrible Ron Howard comedy. Uh he he survived. He was the best well, thing. Well, but frankly it. the the reason why Magic Mike XXL, triple large, however you want to call it, uh, survives itself to the extent that it does. It's the first factor that you mentioned, which is that he's a great dancer. I mean, this is even more so than the first one, really a, a musical comedy. I no mean, the- question, but the women who were reviewing it were not looking at it in those terms. They were strictly addressing, is this a movie about, you know, male-female relationships that I can, you know, recognize as having something to do with reality? And that's really, this is totally Ocean's Eleven rework. You know, they figured out what worked in the first one, and they're giving us a version, a fantasy version of that for, for fun. It, it, there's nothing reality based in this. No, it's, it's a road trip comedy, almost like, you know, the, the the fantasy version of the first movie that ignores a lot of the realistic developments that take place there for various characters and just lets them go have a good time. It does kind of feel like, to some degree, it's it's more a Soderbergh movie than it is, you know, Gregory Jacobs. Who, Gregory Jacobs is is his producer and AD. Soderbergh is his own cinematographer and Soderbergh, Yeah, Soderbergh shot and edited the movie, and it's a movie that is very much driven by these really long sequences. I mean, Channing Tatum dancing in the woodshed. Which or is just, great! Yeah, I, I challenge anyone to not like and enjoy that scene. Well, frankly, it's the kind of studio movie I have so much more fun at than something much bigger and nuttier because it's just it's just pure. The the essence of it is so much more sort of innocent in a way. I mean, I the, don't the think of it as a studio it, movie at all. Well, I mean, but it is it, right. I mean, it's a frankly, Warner it's Warner Brothers, but yeah. you know, it's done on a very low budget on a very indie scale. Um, What's well, a low budget here? Twenty, thirty million dollars? Way lower than that. Way lower. Totally really? way lower, yeah. So this, I mean, what is a what is a low end studio movie by these standards? Thirty million would be a low end studio. More all right now. People don't want us to look things up online, so I'm going to do it on my phone. I'm it is important look. though to get to the bottom of something like that because when we talk about low budget movies, especially when there's so much else that's out there that we're seeing that's being made for you know six figures. I mean, the idea that this is a cheap movie is all kind of relative, but it is interesting to talk about it in those terms because there's no, there's not much in the way of plot to this movie, but it does have, it does have something kind of to say about sort of being more open about sort of this, this kind of uh, sexuality and, and showmanship, and, and it doesn't sort of beat down the male characters and, and portray them in a way that kind of plays up the more negative qualities. At the same time, it's it's telling to compare it with the reactions to the Entourage movie, which is also about... Oh, it's so gross. much better than that, and it's it's yeah. not like that at all. I mean, I guess basically one of the things that, that Channing Tatum brought to this, and it was his idea to do this, I love the idea that he 
having been a male stripper, was not, and having done this for a living, recognizing exactly what would work with women in real life in these situations and, and how to, you know, affect, affect them with, you know, in, a, in an entertaining way. Part of, part of what, what is great about this is that he's not ashamed of it. He's not, you know, embarrassed by it and enjoys it. And obviously they took it to the next level here, but it's not, um, um, in fact, the, the first movie which was much darker. There was much more exploration of the Matthew McConaughey Dallas MC character. This time they bring in two really strong women. They bring in uh, Jada Pinkett Smith to replace the MC. And, and I bring, think her best role, I can't remember Fantastic, how fantastic. And I mean, she's actually powerful in Gotham on TV, but this is a very different role. And, and you can see that, 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 that Magic Mike is sort of intimidated by her, you sure. know, that she's that powerful. Well, that's what, that goes back to what I was saying. I mean, just, it's, it's, you, you seem to shrug it off, but I do think it is a movie about relationships. It's about relationships between men and women, and it's about relationships between men and men in a way that we often don't see in American movies because they, they, people get cold feet about how to really dig into that without feeling like you have to uh, sort of distance yourself from it a little bit. You know, the, they, you know, if it's a buddy-buddy movie, you have to make a joke about the homoerotic subtext or something like that. This movie doesn't feel the need to be sort of chained to any of those things and it feels much more liberated in that sense about different kinds of ways that you know gender relations work out in this country and of course it has a fantasy element i mean if you have you know the andy mcdowell wealthy woman and her her posse you sure. know uh you know she gives them a fancy car she pays for their trip to Myrtle beach you know it's it, they, she upgrades their hotel and gives them uh people to help her, help them get the show on um the show itself is a total fantasy um but, and it consumes the entire third act of the movie it is the plot at the end of the movie it's There's the goal it's very oceans 11 they the a group of guys are, are working together and preparing to achieve a certain goal. In one case, it's a theft. In this case, it's a show. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, there's a shot of them looking off into the into the fountain as if they were in Las Vegas in, in Ocean's Eleven. The exact same shot. Right. And Mission accomplished. The, the other thing that that does is it opens up the door for more movies, whether or not they choose to make them. And I don't know. What do you think? Does this movie seem like it could do a lot of great business through the holiday weekend? And I actually it, I, think it's going to do very well. Um, again, you know, it's a question of how much it cost, in, in the, and I'm sure it was more expensive uh, than the original. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, it's a. The first movie was made on a seven million dollar budget. Which is, which is unbelievable. So no, it. but it's what, it's what Soderbergh does. I mean, he's he's he does his own camera work. He does his own editing. He's running right. around. I mean, if you just look at the movie, there's nothing expensive about it except for the maybe the final scene and maybe Channing Tatum costs something. But um, sure. you know, even if they doubled the budget, that would only be you know fourteen million dollars. Should we be missing Soderbergh from from the movies from the director's chair? I mean, is this movie a reminder of, of what he's capable of in a way? I mean, it's, it's his movie. I it. mean, it, how, it does how, seem do like argue, that. how do you argue? It looks like a Soderbergh movie because he shot it and edited it. He produced it. He developed it. He worked on it with this guy, Gregory Jacobs, who's a perfectly good director, but he's obviously executing with Soderbergh's input and support. 
support. And yes, they, he said in, in an interview in IndieWire that, he, you know, he got to win the arguments with, with Soderbergh. But, I mean, he works for Soderbergh. Soderbergh right. pays his bills. I mean, he, he's going to do what Soderbergh will make. Will be. He's not going to go to the mat fighting with Soderbergh. <laughs> um, I like how Soderbergh, though, he can, he can somehow wrestle free of, of being a, a film director now and just have this phantom-like presence where it's just sort of like his essence is infused in the movie and he affects all these different aspects of production, but he doesn't have to call himself the director. And he doesn't have to take the, the, the heat and he doesn't have to worry about it. I mean, one of the things that I like about about what he's doing, and I've, I've always admired him for, for uh, being a, a little bit like the Duplasses, you know, that the idea that you can just, you, you know, be part of an, an, any number of projects and he does the nick he does he does the uh the, the the what is it called side effects there's another television series based on his film and right. and and he uh the girlfriend experience the, that's it that's it yeah. and and he you know he gets he gets into you know the behind behind the candelabra he shot uh, that's a movie it just happened to be for a, a cable uh channel he's 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 getting away with his retirement um in an interest he's just as busy as he ever was yeah until he makes some big comeback i mean it's just like when stephen king said he was going to retired and then wrote a whole bunch of books and it's still going strong. I'm arguing that this is a Soderbergh movie, you know. I think it's a fair it's a fair assumption, but I, I like also just the idea of, you know, it's a very 21st century concept on some level to transcend like one specific category and have this this influence and this this I hate to say but brand that had that manifests in different kinds of ways. You know, I, I know you haven't seen this movie Cartel Land opening this week, but it's being presented by Catherine Bigelow, and that's another director where I feel like her her influence on what movies are is in some ways even bigger than her productivity as a director. You know, Cartel Land is a movie that it's a documentary that is about the Mexican war on drugs, and it's got some amazing up close scenes of of both sides of that battle. But it almost feels like a Bigelow movie, and in some ways, her involvement just by putting her name on it is legitimizing it in a way that the director himself couldn't do. So I I do like the way in which filmmakers who achieve a certain kind of success can can have that bigger role to play and just. What, the way we talk about movies If she and thinks it's an important story, then she yeah. can put her, her name on it and help to get it seen. Um, you're absolutely right. So in addition to the movies that are opening this week, we got Magic Mike, we have Cartel Land, we got that, that Terminator movie, which we don't really need to bother. There, there were a bunch of new trailers that are probably worth discussing just because they give us, a, I think, a clearer idea of just how the fall season is starting to come together. And I will admit, I've said before on our podcast that I'm not a big trailer guy, that I try to avoid them, but for some reasons, which are practical because of my other hats that I wear at IndieWire, but also because... These trailers are just worth paying attention to, and, and for for other reasons, I, I, I did watch them because um, they're really well put together. Well, and could I'm talking you tell about me three. why the, the the Snowden trailer has been getting such bad reaction? What's your uh, assessment of that? So, well, if you, I'll, I'll, here here's my theory. Nobody gets excited about an Oliver Stone movie anymore. I think that that moment has passed until he does something that somehow could win back a lot of people or reestablishes his his role as somebody who can make a movie that is satisfying outside of its topicality. That's one thing. It's also there, there's not much to it. We don't get a sense of the performances. We don't get a sense of 
what this movie is really about outside of the fact that we know the Snowden story. But look, we just had the Edward Snowden movie last year. It won an Oscar. It's called Citizen Four. So I personally have no reason to be excited about this movie, and I don't really understand why Stone would want to jump on it right now, given the fact that so much more could still happen with this guy. It feels premature, much in the way that W was. That last shot in W where, where the George Bush character played by Josh Brolin has his, his mitt up in the air and, and, and no ball arrives, right? That would that should have been the third act of the movie. You know, George goes off to his, his uh, house in the woods and paints. I mean, the, the story wasn't finished yet. And I feel like with the Snowden situation, everybody's so familiar with this guy and what went down, and it does feel a little premature to have this movie out there right now. What do you think? Uh, I'm always interested in what Oliver Stone does. I mean, he takes big, big risks. He has strong political views. He's a very gifted, stylish filmmaker. He has uh, some of the uh, commitment to addressing the issues of the day that someone like the woman you just mentioned, Catherine Bigelow, has. Um, and you could argue that Zero Dark Thirty, you know, was getting ahead of the story too. And what they did was to report it and shoot it and and do it. So we don't know what's going to be in this movie uh if it's a hollywood movie if it's um if it if it doesn't uh give us a good drama then uh and how many people saw citizen four i mean this is a whole other ball game this is a very different kind of dramatization and uh, i'm very curious to see it uh, but it did strike sure. me that people uh people really dumped on it in a well, way there was not surprised there, me th- the, the trailer itself, I mean, there, there are questions to be had about why we don't really see the movie in the trailer. I mean, I'm sure the movie's not totally done well, yet. That's, that's the reason. They, they don't give us anything. <laughs> it's, it's, it was a reminder when I looked at that thing and I saw this animated flag hopping around why I don't really care for trailers because it doesn't really tell you anything. But it does maybe give you some insight into the way they're going to try to market it as sort of a you know, conspiratorial thriller type of thing. And maybe some aspect of that could work. It's also... With the walk coming up, further evidence that this will be a big fall season for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and he's one way or the other. I mean, he could fall on his face, and you know, on in either. Both of these are risky, risky roles. I would argue. Sure. One. Sure. And the walk, especially with, with, as I've said before, with the French accent. I'm, I'm total. I've heard wonderful things about it. The trailer in 3D is stunning. If you haven't seen it in a theater, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm worried still. I mean, it looks like a very commercial crowd pleaser. I was more impressed with the Creed trailer, which also dropped this week. Oh, that looks fantastic. Quite impressive. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that Ryan Coogler could follow up, you know, a really intense tearjerker like Fruitvale with a a movie like this that looks like it, it sort of packs a real emotional wallet, but also a fantastic performance by Michael B. Jordan. And a really interesting way to build on the Rocky mythology while... Maybe even opening it up to a different kind of audience. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And if you remember back to the the original Rocky, a lot of people don't remember this, but the first Rocky that John Avildsen directed, that Stallone wrote and starred in, and that was you know at a time when that wasn't so obvious a thing to do. Very low budget, very gritty, 
very much of a small drama with very few expectations. I mean, the, the studio knew it was good when it arrived, but and they built it into something, and it went on to win Oscars and everything. We think of all those sequels. We think of all those bloated movies <laughs> that came after. He's yeah. going back to that kind of aesthetic, and it's great that Stallone is, in effect, playing the Burgess Meredith part as the coach. You know, I think... I mentioned Terminator earlier. When you look at the way that action stars age, where Schwarzenegger's sort of aging process hasn't totally found its groove, Stallone's career, <laughs> which is an understatement, I it's know. like he's but, a cyborg. <laughs> but well, yeah, that's that's also nothing new. He's just an older cyborg. But Stallone, no, I mean in real life, he's not. You know, he's enhanced. Well, you know, well, artificially I'm enhanced. About his, uh, yeah. his, his, his political career was was similar in, in that sense, but. Uh, the the uh, Stallone career trajectory has been fascinating to watch. I mean, The Expendables was one really fascinating way for him to continue his action star career. But then he, that that Rocky movie that he made just a couple of years ago was was a really interesting way to continue to build on that character. And, and what we see in the Creed trailer, I think, suggests more of that. The way he steps out of the shadows to to embrace the son of. This character who we know from years ago, I mean, it, it seems like a very logical way to continue this franchise. You know, speaking of the Magic Mike thing, it's but not But he's just... telling the story of an African-American now. He's telling right. a different story, a young... It's, a more it's not the same as, as, as Rocky Balboa. It's, it's fascinating. It's really interesting. I'm curious. Yeah, and, and, the, and the response on this one was very, very positive all over the web. Right. Well, and again, they, they give you a lot of stuff there. So in terms of just the, the dynamics of how to cut a good trailer, I mean, that, that's, just, that's it in a nutshell. Right. I, don't, I can't imagine. I mean, the same thing with that Star Wars trailer with the, that ended with the Chewie We're Home thing. I thought that was a really interesting way of doing it as well. I mean, it's, it's teasing a lot of stuff, and you can't fully extract it. You don't know exactly how much you're being given, but you still have this sort of sense of satisfaction. You've got something that's complete. And so it's it's smart marketing. I'm, I'm super curious to see how that movie comes together. Is it going to play the festivals? Well, they've given it a, a good November date, you know. So yeah. it's it's going to be. I mean, that if you if you pick <laughs> if you pick Thanksgiving weekend, you're you're going for the gold. Yeah, and and certainly in, in that sense, it's already anticipated as as a big one for a lot of people. Speaking of which, uh, Sony Pictures Classics picked that weekend uh, for their. Uh, Hank Williams uh, biopic starring Tom Hiddleston. So that's that's another one to look out for on the uh, on the awards front. Can't say that it's one that I'm quite as excited about, but <laughs> well, they guys. wouldn't be going you know broad like that. They wouldn't be going on such a big date if if they didn't think they had something, or at least something that some of the that sort of generic the older academy our house audience could yeah, and, and academy crowd well, and all if you that. look at the stats the biopic uh, winners are you know everyone from Meryl Streep as Matt, Margaret Thatcher you know to Philip Seymour Hoffman as Capote I mean it, you know, playing a real person seems to pay off you know Sissy Spacek as Loretta Lynn goes back a long ways and it won't stop now well, that opens up the uh, conversation about the third trailer that is worth talking about this week, which is Steve Jobs, the Dane Boyle movie, where we see Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs. We see The Waz, played by Seth Rogen, and we see what looks like a pretty intriguing Aaron Sorkin-scripted movie that 
could actually make up for that really terrible Ashton Kutcher Jobs movie from a couple years back. Well, I couldn't be more excited, but the, you know, and I'm, I'm fascinated, you know, many people who follow the story of the Sony hack know that the behind-the-scenes wrangling over this movie was, was tumultuous between sure. uh, Amy Pascal and Scott Rudin. And, and, and if they don't know, they can read about it. It's still all online. It's, it's uh, all there. entertaining. WikiLeaks says it all. But you can, um, but, but, but the other thing is that it's an interior movie. It's, it's very daring. It's very long. And I'm very curious to see how that played out. You know, did Donna Dan- uh, Langley, who's having a great year at Universal, did she give them carte blanche? Did she let them do whatever they wanted? Did she give them notes? You know, this is what I want to know. I'm actually, I'm, I'm really intrigued by it because structurally, my understanding is this movie has, has a very complex approach. It's, it's sort of based around a couple of different speeches that he gave with some cutaways to different moments, which you it's don't, key moments, key yeah. key introductions of key, uh, you know, things like the iPad and you know, big big moments in the history of the company. Right, and I'm also curious to see how this uh, Alex Gibney documentary about Steve Jobs may or may not play a role in the conversation around this movie because it's really it's I haven't seen it, but I, I hear that it's also a very unflattering portrait of the guy. And if anybody can make a documentary that starts a conversation, it's Gibney. So. Those two movies may or may not be working in Congress or, or working against each other. I'm, uh, I'm just sort of fascinated by that, the way that process may unfold. I'm not 100% sold on the movie based on this trailer. Uh, I think Seth Rogen is an interesting actor, but when we see him confronting Steve Jobs about Steve Jobs taking all this credit for Apple products that, that, that Wozniak designed... It just felt a, a little too obvious. Like, I, I mean, maybe this is just pure expectation, but like the start of an SNL sketch or something. I mean, it's really hard to imagine this stuff in context. And it's also hard to figure out how this movie will surprise us and give us something that's satisfying and not just exclusively what we might expect. You know, I'm sure it's very well put together. Danny Boyle is, is He's a good more filmmaker. than capable. Yeah. But, I mean, just in terms of the, the, the dramatic beats of this movie and the, the memories of, of how terrible that movie Jobs was with, with Ashton Kutcher, it's just, I, I'm just I'm, well, I'm a little nervous. Well, this is based nervous. on a big, big, big bestseller. And, and, sure, the um, book is one know, thing. I, but, well, that, you know, that's, that's a work of journalism. But that gives you a sense of how, how big the audience for this could be and how much sure. interest there is in him. Whereas I don't think there's a whole lot of interest in Edward Snowden, frankly. You know, right. That that there's a as, big as difference that, um, between those two. Sure, it's that that John Oliver bit made clear. So that that's actually a really fascinating point of comparison. And the movies are opening at the same time, so we'll be, um, be you know. Well, it reminds me of, of the. I hate to say it, but the you know there was the the, the Julian Assange. Uh, WikiLeaks movie and the doc too that Gibney did in that case, um, and neither of them made made an impact with anyone. Uh, no one wanted to know about that, and I actually I can't help but think that the Snowden uh, story is, is 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 actually similar, um, except for one thing, which is that Julian Assange is a profoundly dislikable individual. <laughs> Uh-huh. It, was, it was hard to approve of in, in, in many ways, whereas I think there, there some people can make an argument that Snowden was trying to uh, act in an idealistic way and actually did have an impact on saving, uh, you know, they've made oh, yeah. changes as a result of what he the did. The jury is still out on some, but the other thing is Assange has a more belligerent attitude. Snowden comes across as very not only very well-spoken, but more sort of 
like he's on the side of the people, whether or not they want to accept that. And there's something more inviting about that, which is why it is so disheartening that people don't really know who he is or who he's, he represents the way that I think maybe they should by now. I don't expect an Oliver Stone movie to move the dial on that, whereas the Danny Boyle movie might because, hey, everybody knows who Steve Jobs is. Everybody's got a friggin' iPhone. So that's more the zeitgeist in some ways. Absolutely. That, you know... Who's, who's paying attention to you without your permission or something along those lines. I can't wait for these conversations to develop, though, because we are starting to see some foreshadowing of what may be one of the dominant conversations in award season. But we should uh, we should talk a little bit more about that, because whereas we still don't know the lineup for the Toronto Film Festival and any of that stuff, a lot well, of, a lot starting of to come into, into focus. You There's know, more what, that we know, for what sure. some of those fall, uh, you know, uh, slots... Are, are going to be and and suffragette is one of them with Carrie Mulligan, which Focus Features is going to be releasing along with the follow up for Eddie Redmayne, which is the Danish Girl. So so these are two big uh, awards uh, contenders in all likelihood coming up. And um, I still think Richard Gere gives a great performance in Time Out of Mind. We'll see if the critics. That's a great movie. Agree. I mean I. I think a lot of critics that I know already agree about that movie. It's difficult because it's such a weird movie. I mean, a lot of it was shot on, you know, on the street with hidden cameras and stuff like that as he, you know, portrays this homeless person. And it's, uh, it's again, it's a movie where the plot is less sort of a part of it than sort of the snapshot of this character. But he is very good in it, and it's worth it's worth singling out. It actually reminds me of another movie I like quite a bit, Heaven Knows What, which is also about sort of experiences on the street from people drifting around, but I don't expect that one to figure into the award season conversation, so maybe if, if uh, Time Out of Mind does, it'll give us an excuse to keep talking about other things that, that we're excited about. Well, another person that might show up in multiple conversations is Alicia Vikander, who uh, not only is very good in Testament of Youth, but, it, you know, the... Weinstein Co. hasn't booked Tulip Fever yet, but that's the one they showed in Cannes, and she looked great in that, uh, opposite uh, Dane DeHaan and uh, Christoph Waltz. And then there's the Danish girl, uh, which I already mentioned. Uh, right. She's in that as, as well. Right. No, it, it does look like it's going to be a good year for a number of different women and, and, and women-themed women projects. And then there's Tom Hardy in two movies, uh, besides uh, The Revenant. I mean, besides Fury Road, he has The Revenant. Sure. And he's going to play uh, Ron and Reggie K- Cray in, in Brian Helgeland's Legend, which looks sort of provocative as well. Well, if, if Tom Hardy stays in the conversation, I that's, certainly hope that Fury Road stays in the conversation. Oh, no problem with that. That's gonna, but it won't be for the acting. It'll be no, for no. all the other stuff. But that's going to do very well with the Academy, I'm quite sure, even if yeah, it is a genre piece. It certainly does seem, seem to be well-designed for that. But uh, The Revenant is a real question mark. I mean, Inuritu coming off of Birdman seems well positioned to have the resources he needs to make the movie he wants to make, but uh, I haven't really heard too much about early screenings. I don't think anybody's seen it yet. I don't. Uh, I think it's not coming out until the very end of the year, so right. I, I doubt that it even makes it into the fall festivals. I don't think we're going to see... That'll be like the, you know, the, um, the Hateful Eight. I'm sure that'll be uh, something that sure. breaks very late. Sure, and you never know with with that sort of thing too. Tarantino can always pull off a hat trick, as we saw with Django. So, 
certainly much to anticipate there. And with you going off to Comic Con, you're going to encounter a few more bits and pieces of some of those movies. So well, they're showing some stuff from from Hateful Eight, so uh, uh, they're going to do a panel there, as they did with Django. Although on Django, they did you know roundtables and they did a whole full court. Pro- I think basically um, they're going to save that for later um, and just do the panel this time. Well, last time, last year, I remember we recorded this podcast. You were on the floor near Hall H, and some weirdo in a bat suit was stalking. <laughs> so we'll see how you make out this time. Uh, it's, it if, goes with the territory. Exactly. Well, they will be so, showing Star Wars, so that'll be not Star. They're not showing the movie. They're going to do some some panel. There will be a Lucasfilm uh, presentation, and there will be some legendary presentations. A lot of DC, Warner Brothers presentations. Batman. Poor Ben Affleck may have to show up. Up, so we'll see what happens. We got a lot to look forward to, but we also have our long weekend, which is why we're publishing this a little bit early. So we don't want to take up any more of anyone's time. There's lots of good movies to check out. I'm not talking about Terminator Genesis, in case that wasn't clear earlier. Lots of other stuff going on, and even more in the coming weeks. So it's actually it's looking like a pretty good summer for movies whether or not you're into the the big ones or the small ones. So until next week, and I guess we'll we'll have plenty to mull over. Abiento. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.